hello and welcome back to the Thundersticks podcast. I'm your host Ben Kreider and today I'm going to be giving you guys a game recap of the Thunder's first preseason game against the Charlotte Hornets. Just the overall breakdown on the game and the top players, one of which Josh Giddy. So it's going to be pretty exciting and to top things all off, I have a really good deal from my good friends at DraftKings Sportsbook. But first, just talking about this game, this was an interesting one because for the most part, you did have your returning core. You had SGA, you had Lou back, you had Baisley, Teo's there, Poku's there. I think when you want to compare it to maybe last season, it's completely different because there were maybe three, four returning guys. It was ridiculous. Uh, for this one, there are only six people out uh, from the final roster last year. Now, if you want to check like day one, like start to finish, there's more than six guys uh, that end up leaving the Thunder. But the overall like Clippers game, that roster, six of them were swapped out. Ten new guys are in. You have five of those being rookies, if you want to include Vit Kredchi in that group. So you had a different kind of core out there to play. However, there were some people that did not get to play in this one for the Thunder. Kenrich Williams was not in. Vit Kredchi was not in, which kind of sucked. And then also Derek Favors was not playing. So for the most part, it's not all that surprising because Favors and Kredchi were in and out of week one of practices. When it comes to Kenridge Williams, we didn't really have uh, much to go off of there. I'm assuming Mark Dagnall will go over that in the next interview session that he has. But yeah, uh, you definitely want to see some of those guys get the first looks at favors. And then, of course, Kredchi, who we have not seen, even though they drafted him almost a year ago in the 2020 draft. But you still had a lot of guys to look forward to. You had SGA playing against LaMelo Ball. You had Josh Giddy playing against Hayward or James Booknight, whoever you want to look at there, the other rooks and Trey Mann and Jeremiah Robinson Earl, and just the returning group. So there was a lot of anticipation here, and there was a lot of anticipation from fans in OKC because they reopened the doors to the arena. It's not Chesapeake Energy anymore. It is the Paycom Center. So it wasn't really filled to the brim. In fact, I'd probably say it was at a pretty low capacity, but it's to be expected. It's the first game and the preseason kind of came out of nowhere, so I don't blame people. I think once regular season play kicks off, you're going to see a lot more fans there and just a lot more energy coming out of there. There was some energy, and I will say the camera work, too, kind of displayed that when they were shooting it. Uh, but yeah, I I'm assuming it will get better over time in terms of attendance. Still very, very solid, though. So going into the game... The original couple possessions were nothing more than just layups, back and forth, back and forth, and Josh Giddy was one of the first people to sound off a bucket. He drove in right, I believe, and was able to get a nice scoop and score to get his first points in preseason play. He only had two in the summer league, and uh, just like the other one, you know, inside a minute, that's where he strikes on the board. Unlike last time, though, no injury that followed that, so he was good. Uh, but once you get by that, it was still a little bit of a back and forth. The Hornets got up 7-4. to four. SGA sounded off a three-point shot to get his first bucket and tie the game off. And then the Hornets got on a mini run. They had five consecutive points until Josh Giddy got it back down to single digits again. He had a beautiful, like, push shot almost where he just snuck in to around the free throw line stop pop 
it was too easy for him. I don't even want to call it a floater, really. Just a straight up, you know, push shot. It looked like a layup to him. He's a six foot eight. He says he's a six foot nine guard, and he's pretty damn crafty, as we found out in this contest. So you get it back down to a single possession, and then you're just looking to tap in. And the Hornets were making life very difficult for the Thunder. Every single time they made a bucket, the Hornets were just strumming out another one again. And even when the Thunder's main core from last year of SGA and Lou Dort got eight consecutive points, right on the other end, the Hornets were there to get eight of their own. So there wasn't really much here. It was just a trade-off of baskets, and it was not going in the Thunder's favor. So at the very end of the quarter, Mark Dagnall decided to finally tap into a lot of these rookies. He put Trey Mann and Jeremiah Robinson Earl in for the final two, three minutes, and it did not go all that well. It wasn't because Trey Mann, it wasn't because of Jeremiah Robinson Earl, it was just because the Hornets were getting their shots down, and they were getting them down fast and frequently. They had a 9-0 closing run to this quarter, started out with a Jalen McDaniels alley-oop jam, and by the end of it, they were up 15, 34 to 19, and it really didn't seem like they were controlling it the entire way, because all their buckets were just out of nowhere. Like I said, they had the 5-0 run. They had the 9-0 run. It wasn't kind of just a smooth slate, maybe like it was for the Thunder. And the Thunder didn't shoot all that well in this quarter. In fact, they only shot 2 of 14 from 3. That's 14%. That is terrible. Um, But, you know, at least there, it was kind of a consistent pace of when they were scoring. The Hornets, they were just hot and cold over and over, but it ended up working out because they just got hot at the correct moments. So going into the second quarter, the Thunder, they needed to kind of shift gears and they were able to get some early scoring from their second first round pick in Trey Mann. He didn't get a field goal off, but what he did do, just like he did in summer league play, just slash right inside of the cup, absorb some contact. If the shot doesn't go in, it doesn't matter because you're going to get two at the charity stripe sunk both of those down. And it looked like the Thunder could be on some sort of a comeback run. But that was not the case because the Hornets got in a 6-2 run. They were looking to get it up to 20. It was 40-22, to and then Dagnall, he just put a halt to it, cut it right there at 18. He didn't want to see it inflate any further, so he decided to put Josh Giddy back in. So he played the majority of that first quarter, really didn't get much of a break there, just immediately got thrusted right back into action, and Josh Giddy was there again. He ended up putting on two amazing passes that didn't result in assists, but they still are worth talking about. So on the first play, he was driving in from the left wing, and then he just threw a one-armed pass to the right corner. Wide open jump shot, and it just didn't go in. And then on the very next drive, he drove in yet again, overhead jump pass, to Isaiah Roby in the corner, and that one also hit front iron and just didn't roll in. But he was making it very difficult for the Hornets in that second quarter when it came to spacing. There was just not a lot of capitalization off of it, and because of it, the Hornets, they were still out there playing their style of basketball and just keeping in the game. So even though the Thunder looked nice in this second quarter, the Charlotte Hornets They weren't overly impressive. They were just holding on for dear life. So they called the timeout at 45-30. A lot of that has to do with some more Josh Giddy buckets. 
and then you reach the five minute mark where the Thunder, they kept tapping in. So Giddy was hitting layups. Pokashevsky, he was going in there hitting three pointers. He had a pull up shot that went in as well. And it looked like they were going to sneak into the single digits and potentially make it a ball game going into the final 24 minutes. But just as it happened in the first quarter, the Hornets scored nine straight, and now you're looking at them knocking on the doorstep of 20 points again, and the Thunder, they really couldn't respond. I mean, they couldn't even get shots off during that time because they had three turnovers in a span of about a minute and a half, so it was pretty ugly, and then they just faltered in transition. There were two plays that I think Baisley um, was the defender there. There was someone who was going to be in the left corner. And then you have a guy driving in kind of through the middle, but also maybe left wing. So you kind of have to play a bit of monkey in the middle, but you got to commit at one point. And he just got flat-footed both those times, resulting in some really quick fire. A left corner threes. They both went in. Might have been Jalen McDaniels on both, but that's not really the point. The point is they were hot and they went into halftime up 67 to 45. And I think it's because the Thunder, they were just against the wall the entire time. They had a lead of maybe four to begin this game and then it just got taken right away. 4-0 advantage, gone, and then they were just looking at, um, you know, the Hornets speeding right away from them. So when you're in survival mode, kind of tends to uh, create some bad shots. Overall, I'd say they had good looks sometimes, um, but they weren't hitting. So they shot 17 of 45. That's 38%. And they went even worse from three. They went five of 23 there. That's 22% when you went a round up. So not great. The only consistent score that you could find on the Thunder roster at that point was Lou Dort. He had 11 points, and he had three out of those five triples through the course of the half. And he did it just in a span of no time. So just as the Hornets were getting hot, Lou Dort got hot for a minute, and then he was just right out of the equation again. So that hurt a bit. SGA was there too. He finished with nine points. Uh, Giddy had eight points in the half thing with SGA was there was uh, some turnover troubles, and there really were for just everybody combined. There were 14 turnovers for the Thunder in that first half, and it resulted in a lot of easy buckets for the Hornets. They had 13 fast break points to the Thunder's four there, uh, and their shots just came a lot easier. They shot close to 60% in that half, and then 41.2% from beyond the arc so it was tough I mean they were just hitting shot after shot so you can't really blame the Thunder's defense the ball handling was sloppy um but yeah and then on top of that too I mean the Thunder they only had one guy that was in double digits by that point LaMelo had 13 and PJ Washington had 12 so there was a little bit of a dynamic duo forming and that of course um was not going to help out the Thunder whatsoever and Going into the third quarter, it was still much the same. Just making sure that the Hornets, you know, weren't able to inflate that lead. Same kind of battle for the Hornets, just making sure it did not dwindle into single digits. And Charlotte did a good job. I mean, a minute inside the half, they were already up 25 points. And the Thunder, they were just 
on their heels. They were walking on eggshells. I guess that's the best way to put it. Um, once again, just their survival mode, I guess you could call it. And the Thunder, they actually responded, and they responded through Josh Giddy of all people. He was going off in this game. I'll give you guys a bit more insight into that later, but he was dominating. He was the one taking it past the timeline. He was calling the shots. He didn't have SGA in this set. He was pretty much gone uh, going in that second half, but yeah, he pioneered everything, manned that ship, got a quick layup, and then had a corner three in what stemmed a 14-7 Thunder run, cut it to 16, uh, but then they just could not tap in any further on their deficit, and the Hornets, they got it up to 20 points again. It was 91-71 to going into that fourth quarter, and the Thunder... They actually had a pretty solid chance here uh, to capitalize and take a lead because the Hornets, they were not hitting their threes at all in this third quarter. I mentioned they shot 41.2% through the first two quarters. That's insane. They shot one of 11 from three in the third quarter. So that's where they were trying to feast. They didn't, but they were able to get more rebounds and just take shots right around the basket. Hurt them a little bit. Uh, and then going into the fourth, it was about the Thunder just making sure they could finish things off strong. And Mark Dagnalt, he pulled a move that honestly I like. And there's one side of me that uh, doesn't enjoy this philosophy or when coaches opt to do this. But it's preseason play. And it's not like the Thunder or this playoff team just filled with 25 plus year olds, like 29, 30 year old stars. This is a team that had a starting unit where the oldest guy was 23, you know? So everyone is pretty young here and everybody could use preseason reps. And he decided that he was going to keep in a lot of the ones and twos to open the fourth. And it doesn't include Dort or SGA. They were sidelined at that point. But players like Darius Baisley, Poku, Josh Giddy, you had Isaiah Roby out there. Just keeping them in line um, to maybe get that push. The main group he ran for the fourth was Giddy, Poku, Ty Jerome, Jeremiah Robinson Earl, and Mike Muscala. Uh, and he just kept him out there for a good bit. So on one end, you get more experience for those guys. The Obviously the downside, guys like DJ Wilson, Rob Edwards, and Mamadi Diakite, they didn't get to see as much time as maybe they could have based on just the overall game. But I think you can kind of see the priorities. I think you want to probably nurture a guy like Josh Giddy a little bit more than a DJ Wilson or a Rob Edwards. So it makes sense in why they do it. They really never um, were capitalizing or getting the game back down when they did have their ones and twos out there, but they did get a pretty cool boost off the secondary unit. And this is when you get into garbage time. This is when Mamadi Daikite got to go in. Aaron Wiggins got his time to shine. And he made it count. He got to play the final seven minutes of the quarter. And he shot four of five. Getting 12 points in the process. Went three of three from downtown. And really gave them life. There was a point where they weren't in single digits. But they were right there. Maybe with a minute left. And at that point, you know, I think you just dribble out the clock. But if this was a serious game, there is that slight 
chance that they would have made that comeback or at least made it interesting and it never got to that point the final score was 113 to 97 in charlotte's favor so that's 16 points going their way but it was great to see that little spark plug and a guy like aaron wiggins who has been very impressive to this point once again uh putting emphasis on his name and maybe going in that second game uh making guys question like how much he should be out there because he played pretty pretty well and so did a lot of other guys on this thunder roster i'm gonna let you guys know how everybody did in a second here but first i'm gonna let you guys know about a special offer going on with my good friends at DraftKings sportsbook hockey season is back and DraftKings sportsbook has an unbelievable offer to celebrate the greatest sport on ice New customers can bet just $1 on any hockey game and win $100 in free bets if either team scores a goal. It doesn't matter if it's a one-time clapper or a deft deflection. However, they light the lamp and you win. Here is how you guys can get in on the action. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code TBPN. Throw down $1 on any hockey game and win $100 in free bets if either team scores a goal. This week, one puck in the net nets you a big win with promo code TBPN at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older in New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager required. One per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or if you're in Indiana, call 1-800-9-WITH-IT. But guys, moving on into the players from Monday night. There was a lot to talk about here. And when you break it down, I mean, this is a 20-man rotation that you could potentially be looking at. Now, they didn't play all 20 players, of course. There were five in total off, so 15 got to see the hardwood in this game. Uh, There were some really big performers, though. And the number one guy was Josh Giddy. And this is... This game, I'll put it this way, this was everything we could have hoped for. Uh, As fans, if you're a fan, if you're just on the outside looking in, Josh Giddy was impressive. He checked every single box that he really needed to do uh, in order to be legitimate with this team. And you got to understand, this is just one game, so some parts of his game might have been maybe boosted out of proportion for the game, and then some others that maybe weren't huge huge parts um could be huge in the future and the greatest part about josh giddy and why i think it really doesn't matter even if he was terrible for like a a season i mean he's the second youngest guy in the nba the only younger person is josh primo and he's pretty much the poku of the draft his birthday's in the back end of december when it comes to josh giddy he turns 19 in the middle of october so he is very very young And he pretty much won't be able to drink uh, until his rookie scale deal is over with. So it's pretty ridiculous. Uh, And what he showed, I mean, he was the best player on the court for the Thunder. And it was not even close. I'll talk about SGA in a minute. Uh, SGA was not better than Josh Giddey. 
on Monday. Josh Giddy was the number one guy. He was the man through it all. Ended up playing 29 minutes in this game. Had a team high of 18 points. Shooting 8 of 12 from the floor. 2 of 4 from 3. Had 7 rebounds. And had 3 assists to top it all off. And the best part, he only had 2 turnovers throughout the game. So the big thing with Josh Giddy uh, was kind of his speed with ball. And that's what you saw scouting wise. Like he was an elite passer. Uh, at the NBL ranks, which is a very legitimate league. Uh, but the thing is, like, he's 6'8", he's going against guards that are 6 foot, maybe 6'1", 6'2", or if he is playing a forward, maybe not the most athletic of forwards, so he could get by and penetrate there. But people wanted to see how he could do against guards at the NBA level and forwards who... You know, their forwards are not playing point guards all the time. However, they're definitely going to be a little bit more athletic than those you're going to find uh, in the NBL just due to the nature of things. But it didn't look like a problem for Josh Giddy at all. I actually think penetration was his strongest asset throughout this game. And it didn't matter if he was isolating or if there was a high ball screen coming in. Josh Giddy got to his spots really whenever he felt like it. When you check the shot chart, five out of those eight makes came right around the basket. Whether it was a push shot or a layup, he finished the game with five of those. And he was not missing all that often. He had a very sweet touch around the basket. It wasn't like he was going for bodies. I mean, when he's going up for layups, you know he's not going to be throwing down too many bodies. He's not a very springy guy, but it doesn't really matter because the stature of himself and his overall handling the turn the corner, uh, it makes the difference and it makes it all right that he might not be as explosive as, uh, I don't know, some other guys that you could think of. But he did great work when it came to shooting. He knew exactly when he needed to take the layup or when he should kick the ball out. And that's, uh, that's all that matters. I mean, the passing game was his biggest strong suit when you were talking about draft reports. You would see him slinging off one-armed passes. You'd see him throwing no-looks, this and that. We didn't get to see the no-looks in this game, but we pretty much saw everything else. I already talked to you all about the one-handed pass. I think I said it was the corner. It was actually the right wing that he threw that one over to. Um, off of the dribble drive, of course. And then there was another dribble drive where uh, he decided to kick it out when he was midair, overhead pass. This was dialed up to perfection. Like, if he threw it a foot lower, this thing was going to hit someone's hands. It would have been a deflection. Would have went the other way, but he got it right where he needed to get it. And then also, just in the half court, when maybe he wasn't the maestro, he was still making some very smart, crisp passes, bounce passes, chest passes. He can pass a lot. And you know who else can pass? SGA can pass. Alexei Pogoshevsky can pass. Gabrielle Deck can pass. Hell, maybe even Vit Krejci can pass. We need to see a little bit more of him. But we found out, I mean, he can handle the basketball. And I would say he was a better primary ball handler than SGA was in this game. And that's not going to happen every night. We know SGA is one of the best when it comes to driving. He led the NBA in drives last year. He's probably just getting right back in the motions. It's been well over 150 days since he's touched an NBA court, but Josh Giddy never has. I mean, he's played pro ball in Australia, but 
it didn't look like there was any knockoff in production here. It looked like much the same, if not even better for him. And I say that because the passing was there, the finishing was there. We kind of knew a little bit about that. But what I did not know and what most people didn't know was his three-point shot. And I don't think we truthfully do yet because it's one game. You're not going to overreact here. If you were going to make overreactions, I'd tell you right now, Josh Giddy is able to shoot the three ball. And he was on Monday. If it's going to carry over, we don't know yet. His jumper, uh, it got the job done. And it's one of those shots where it's not like Gabrielle Deck. I think Gabrielle Deck is almost in his own class because it's just that set shot. You're only going to see it on 2K. I didn't even realize people still shot the way he did. Um, but he shot mid-30s with Real Madrid. Anyways, with Josh Giddy. his jump shot is not the slowest. Like, it's a fluid enough release. I would say the speed, if someone is closing out or if someone is anticipating the three from him, I think he's going to need to add something to his bag. But as a catch and shoot, just spot up guy, his three point shot is going to get the job done because he does get it off uh, close enough. And then when it comes to the arc, there's not much on it, but you know, they were just hitting back iron. They'd still fall in because there's not a lot of heat on these shots that he was taking two of four is like an 100% in my book. I didn't know what we were going to see from Giddy from downtown. I thought maybe he'd shoot like two or three if we were lucky. But, you know, he was out there genuinely surveying the court uh, when he was out in the half-court sets, but he was also trying to survey if he had an open shot. And we didn't see many pull-ups from him or where he was on the ball taking threes. But if you found him in the corner or if you found him at the top of the key, he was going to be taking those shots. So confidence was the big thing we needed to see from Josh Giddy. He did that. And then even on the other side of the ball where we didn't know what to expect because he's six foot eight, because you already have SGA, where's he going to play? He was playing one through three, even one through four sometimes in this game. And I thought he held up pretty damn strong. He was up against Gordon Hayward sometimes and you wouldn't be able to pick out which one was smaller you know he has that size here where yeah Gordon Hayward he's been a small forward his entire career you tell me Gordon Hayward's a point guard absolutely not he doesn't look like a point guard he doesn't play like a point guard Josh Giddy, he doesn't look like a point guard he definitely plays like a point guard though and when he's only 18 that is very very special so we'll need to see his development probably more off the ball in these next couple of games that's what I want to see maybe more of that SGA giddy connection but on the ball he was serious and I think everywhere he was just very very impressive so you know it was a skeptical pick when Presti fired on Giddy, because he wasn't expected to go really even top 10 most places you checked. I think now in a redraft, the over-exaggeration one day, maybe two days in a preseason play, you're not letting him get past number five. So this looks like a really good pick on the surface and a very, very fun one based on how Josh Giddy played. Another rookie I already talked about, Aaron Wiggins. He was the second leading scorer, even though he only played seven minutes, and he has earned respect. In my last episode, I feel so ashamed I didn't mention Aaron Wiggins. I forgot he was even on the team, um, but yeah, this is someone who goes out there. He can do a lot of different things, and I didn't think we would see the Aaron Wiggins we saw in Las Vegas where he was just driving in at will, actually looking to get high ball screens and create for others. 
we're probably not going to see that when you know he's in the NBA. I think with the blue, potentially, we didn't see it on Monday. We just got to see at his rawest form, like what he has been expected to do. And that's a shot creator, just stop pop from three. And then also on the defensive end, you got to be able to guard the shooting guard and small forward position. He did fine. And it does come with that asterisk because of when he was playing. But I don't think it really matters. You go out there, hit three after three after three, and you were doing it for five games in a row in the summer league. I'm going to believe you're a genuine shooter. So Aaron Wiggins has a very solid touch. I will say outside of the scoring, because that's really all you can make out of this. I really like how he moves around the floor. Like, I think he's pretty damn meticulous when it comes to finding his spots. He's not really lost out there too often. And that comes on both sides of the basketball. So I'd be shocked if we see him play seven minutes again. You got to pump that up to at least 10 plus. I know it's going to be pretty cutthroat when Krejci comes back. And even if Derek Favors is going to make an appearance, Kenrich Williams is in that grouping as well. Um, But it's going to be hard to just completely silence him in this rotation because he did make a pretty big statement. Moving beyond Aaron Wiggins, Alexei Pokashevsky. And he didn't actually start in this game. Darius Baisley got the nod you had at the five, Isaiah Roby. So he was the six man. And Mark Dagnall talked about how he wanted to see Dagnall really carry that second unit. And in points, he pretty much did. You know, Wiggins, he was that third string. Alexei Pokashevsky, I'd say he was the commander of the second string. Because he had 11 points and four rebounds. The shooting wasn't crazy I mean he shot four of 12 and then two of seven from deep but you know you can't really knock Poku for taking jump shots this was the story that we had for months on the podcast last season we just want to see Poku launch up some three-point shots we want to see him expand his boundaries and we want to see some confidence he was not confident to start last season we didn't get to see him really in preseason play enough he did have a very good game against the Spurs and but then he kind of dropped off right now I mean he just let it be known early he's confident when it comes to shooting the ball so even though he only shot 33 percent dude shot 12 times that was pretty high up there that might have been yeah that was tied for a team high and field goals attempted right up there with josh giddy so you love seeing poku taking these shots he was out there trying to pull up from three like i mentioned really beautiful finger roll left-handed as well that he had in the third quarter uh, so there is a lot to kind of carry on from we know he's going to be a mixed bag in terms of stat lines I would say this is one where I'd consider it a net positive based on his overall production here he had 22 minutes I hope we get to see 22 plus in the next game and I hope we get to see him handling the ball a little bit more because Josh Giddy was the guy I, I want to see Josh Giddy with the basketball don't get me wrong I think though it's preseason, you want to give the touches to everybody. I think you know Giddy will handle at least at a secondary capacity. With Poku, that's what people were curious. Is he going to be that secondary ball handler? Could he be the ball handler off the bench? Let's just let it all out right now. Let's see a full game of him pioneering that offense. Beyond Poku was Lou Dort. Already mentioned him with the 11 points in that first half. He was kind of done. 
he looked exactly like always, and that is very, very impressive. Just a guy who's going to give you everything on both sides of the basketball. He was popping threes when he was open. When it came to driving inside, I don't know. Maybe it's the placebo effect, but he mentioned he has lost weight. I'd say on penetrations, he looked a little bit more nimble. And then on defense, too, he was just locking people down. So really good grade on him. SGA in his return, he had 17 minutes. So it wasn't like he was out there enough to really give you that full sample. I will say, though, like I mentioned, Josh Giddy played better than SGA. And that is a compliment to Giddy. It's not even a slight at SGA because it's been a while and we know what he is capable of. He'll, he'll be dropping 25 plus points in two weeks time, maybe even this week when we see the next game go down. But he finished this one with nine points, three rebounds and four assists. Shot three of eight though, and then one of five from downtown. And one thing with SGA, he did a really good job creating space. And this is nothing different. We've heard he's actually been doing even better when it comes to shot creation and training camp. And he had the room. I mean, he was hitting people with step back after step back. He shot 40 plus percent from three last year, taking a lot of attempts. You have that jumper, you should take it. And when he was in that commanding role, which he still is, I think he's going to take that shot. But almost kind of that mental game of like getting everybody involved, he might have been a little bit too overgracious here because he had shots, but he just kept passing them up. And he kind of just got stuck in that mode of not knowing what to do. He finished this game with four turnovers because of it. So he'd get into the mid-range and then he'd just freeze up. He didn't want to drive in. He didn't want to kick out. You give that split second of indecision, that's a pretty hefty price to pay when you're in the NBA. And it was, uh, you know, he, he was paying his debts. I guess that's how I should put it there. So yeah, I think next game it's going to be fine. This is just everyone getting their feet a little bit wet. So it's expected that some might underperform. Another guy who underperformed was Darius Baisley. He's a player who we saw him in the G League, or not the G League, just the NBA bubble. When they were all in Disney World, he was pretty, pretty good just everywhere. He was shooting mid-30s from downtown. If you wanted to close out on him, he'd drive in. He could dunk it. He could lay it in or dish it off. And I still think he can do that. I think he's a probably an improved ball handler and also a finisher. However, you're going to need that three-point shot in order to see those segments of your game flourish. And he didn't really shoot the three ball well last season. We need to see three balls go in this season. And he had a lot of open looks from downtown. I think the Hornets were trying to test him from there. He took three shots, which is good. Uh, there were more looks then three where he was wide open and I don't want to see him jack up every single time of course like he'd be shooting probably 10 plus threes in this game just because that's how they wanted a game plan here but I wish there was a bit more confidence so he did have a bit of the indecision issues like SGA should probably patch up there but it does hurt because it really does permeate into the other parts of your game to where you're kind of just out there aimlessly and it did project onto the defense like I talked about some of the transition D from him I think he just was a little bit confused and that's something that's going to get worked out I'm sure that there's going to be talks about it they're going to focus on this in training camp and 
it's one of those deals where you kind of play off a of pure instinct sometimes and you might lose sight of someone on the court. He was letting Jalen McDaniels rip out threes, and I'll tell you what, I mean, Jalen McDaniels, he's not really known as this premier sharpshooter. Now, can he shoot the basketball? Of course, he can shoot a little bit from downtown, but you look at him, I mean, he shot 33% last season. Is he thinking that when you got a guy trucking downhill? Of course not, but, you know, I'm sure if you put like a Clay Thompson out there in the corner, he'll just be attached to the corner. You can take your layup and that's that. So you kind of do get stuck playing monkey in the middle. You'll win some, you lose some. If those two threes from McDaniel shanked out, I wouldn't be talking about it. That's just kind of how it works though. So with Baisley, it's one game. There is serious potential with him. We know that he can handle the basketball. We know he is a very solid finisher, but you got to get the three level scoring on there to really amplify your game and make you the asset to where someone's going to be attached to you the entire time. SGA is going to have all the driving lanes. There's never going to be people really sagging off and he'll probably work through this. There's going to be some games where he won't miss from downtown and people will be forced to cover him. I really hope it comes together for him because we know and we have seen he can be very scary when he gets into his zone. Another guy who can get into his zone is Trey Mann in Florida. You know, I said in last pod, like last seven games averaged 20.7 points, had four consecutive times where he dropped 20 in a row. And then he had, what, a 30 point game. So he can score in high bunches. We didn't get to see much of that in the summer league and we really did not see that in Monday's game either. He had eight points, two assists, and three steals overall, but six out of those eight points came at the charity stripe. Went six of six there, so that's good because there have been free throw issues with uh, the Thunder, at least last season. The overall shooting, though, was one of seven for him, and when you break it down even further, he went 0 of two from downtown, and it was just like SGA where I actually think Trey Mann had a really good game when it came to shot creation. It was just trying to cash in and taking those shots became a problem. And this is something that Dagnalt mentioned in training camp where Trey Mann had this space and this is everywhere, but then he kind of just waits for a second. Maybe that was creeping in the back of his head. I think he'll be fine just like Baze, just like everybody here. But he did have the room and then he just sprint right in and he is so fast. He he was blown by people in this game to get to the rack. That's how he got the six free throws overall. Um, but, you know, once he gets that three ball together, you're not looking at eight points. You're looking at him having 18 points off the bench and you're looking at him shooting three of four from downtown and then you can cut it however you want. Whether it's free throws or layups, he'll get in there and he'll find looks. One of the big things I want to cue in on with Trey Mann is his decision-making when it comes to getting into that second layer of defense, whether it's a floater or looking to kick out to the three-point line. There wasn't a ton of that in this game. I think overall, though, the whole team had a lot of extra passes, which you love to see. Trey Mann, he'll get it together. I think he will get to that point to where, you know, he'll look like SGA. If someone's open in the corner, he's going to hit you in the corner. I don't blame him, though. First game, just like the Summer League, you're looking to... Uh, kind of test yourself around the basket. It's understandable why he shot seven times and it's understandable why he shot one of seven because there was a high degree of difficulty on a lot of those attempts. Going beyond that group, you have Jeremiah Robinson Earl kind of putting a bow on the rookie core. 
He shot 0 of 2, played 15 minutes. Both of those shots went from downtown, and he had two rebounds and two steals to go along with everything. Four personal fouls in that small portion. Dagnall pulled him to the side and kind of let him know, like, hey, this is not summer league. You're not going to fly getting eight, nine fouls. You can only have six here. So he quieted a bit down, still discipline-wise. You don't want to get four fouls in that short of a period, especially when Jeremiah Robinson Earl really does help you, um, not just because he's a great player, but the way this team is structured, you want to have shooters like Jeremiah Robinson Earl at the four or the five, and you didn't get to see as much of it because of the fouls. And then also, you got to look at a little bit more people when it comes to summer league games here. I don't look much, you know, I don't really put much stock into it. I don't put much stock into most of these guys, unless it's a positive one, then I'm definitely going to remember. But people are going to have stinkers in there. And when you're entering your first contest, it is kind of expected that that will go on. A little bit of that from Jeremiah Robinson Earl. I'm not really going to go one way or the other on that, though. Go beyond him. You have Isaiah Roby, who started at the five. Isaiah had one of the best preseasons last year. He had that little tandem off the bench with Teo Maladone. Got cut off here to where he was running with SGA and Giddy most of the time. And you got to see him a lot kind of driving in the basket and also getting those rebounds. Not as much really pick and roll, I would say, in comparison to where we've seen him in the past. Not many threes. He only attempted one in this game. Still wound it up getting six points, two rebounds, an assist, a steal, and a block. So sort of lived up to that Swiss Army Knife title he's garnered in the last year. And then with another guy, you know, his second half from last season, Teo Maladone, he went one of five going one of three from distance. He had three points, four rebounds, and four assists. Very, very crisp passer. This is what I'm talking about whenever the Thunder were just making extra passes throughout, even though, you know, they didn't have all that many shots going in. They had 21 overall assists. But he was looking everywhere to pass. He is a very clean passer. When it comes to his overall offensive game, we know he can light it up from anywhere. We just didn't see it in this game. I don't really think it's that big of a matter. Gabrielle Deck comes back from a lot of speculation he was leaving. That's just simply not the case. He's back and he had four points, five rebounds, and an assist. I liked Gabrielle Deck. I mean, he was fitted into that bench unit really well and maybe it's because the speed was a bit different uh, I know in the 10 regular season games you could see him sort of as that sore thumb like you could pick him out of the crowd it wasn't like that at all and that's pretty good because you want to see Gabriel Deck kind of playing out of his comfort zone at a higher pace because when he's at that point he'll be very very good because we already know he's a lethal passer with a core of lethal passers Going past that to another guy you could coin as a passer in Ty Jerome, he did not really shoot as well as we're accustomed to. Went 0 of 3, only shot that went in came off a 2 for him, and not a ton else went on that scorecard for him. He had 3 turnovers, which is not expected. He has one of the better assist-to-turnover ratios in the league, so that'll be fine in a little bit. Just think it's worth kind of throwing out there in the waters. Mike Muscala, same old, same old with him. Shot five threes, hit two of those. That's going to be his, really, that's going to be his calling card the rest of his career, whether it's with the Thunder or another franchise. He's a stretch five who can also crash the boards. 
Mamadi Diakite, the new addition here um, that they claimed off the waiver wire, he got more run than Aaron Wiggins. And Mamadi, I don't really know what his place is in terms of this pecking order. Could he make the genuine team? I'd kind of consider him as that luxury training camp acquirement, just like uh, Frank Jackson was last year for 250K. Mamadi went in, went one of four overall, one of two from three. So I think he knows what the job title comes with. He needs to stretch the floor. So he did a bit of that. Big play from him though. He had two consecutive blocks right under the basket. He's 6'8". You might want to put him at 6'9", but he's more of 6'8". So he's like a forward playing up a position, but he was holding his ground in the minimal time we saw him. So I hope we get to see a little bit more Mamadi. I hope we get to see a bit more of other players like Kredchi. Did not get to see anything from Rob Edwards. A little bit disappointing there because as we know, Rob Edwards is a very talented scorer. They could have used a lot of scoring in this last game and they were really focused on spreading the basketball around. Edwards can do that, but when he gets locked in, he's looking to get the ball right then and there and take it past the timeline. Could that have screwed with things? Maybe, but it could have benefited the team. Maybe throw him in for five minutes, see what's up with that. Could he drop a lot of points? DJ Wilson, he could be under that same group as a four or five. Stretch five, that's what he's done since his time in Michigan. And then you had Paul Watson Jr., who he actually did get a play. He got seven minutes in the garbage time, went 0 of 2 from 3, and that was about that. When you want to check the other side of things, the main dude here was James Booknight, and that makes an interesting conversation because a lot of fans wanted James Booknight at number five. I talked about it as the main storyline in yesterday's podcast. I don't think it is the main storyline. The main storyline is Josh Giddy was playing out of his mind, but I think if you're a Charlotte Hornets fan, you're going to be looking not at Josh Giddy. You're going to be looking at James Booknight saying, man, this guy can score because he went out there, shot seven of 12, five of five from the free throw line and one of three from downtown. Not a lot outside of scoring. Giddy, he was multidimensional the entire night. You did not know what to expect from him and he was causing havoc throughout the defense. I think he's going to cause some adjustments over his career just because he's 6'8", 6'9", and he can really patrol pretty well. But book night, he was getting to his spots. Outside of that, you had LaMelo dropping 15. Miles Bridges had 13. PJ had 14. Jalen McDaniels, he had 12 points. So a lot of love being spread around this unit, and that's kind of to be expected from the Charlotte Hornets. When it comes to what is next for the Thunder, they have a five-day break. So the preseason, it's a bit interesting. They pretty much have a full week of training camp, and then they're going to play again on the weekend. They'll be taking on the Milwaukee Bucks on Sunday, and as I've seen, this might be an ESPN game. So if you're kind of keeping tabs on things, the Thunder, they haven't been on regular season television or in-season television since Game 7 against the Houston Rockets. I'm not going to say that streak is snapped here. I didn't say it snapped against the Pistons in Summer League, um, but this is another opportunity to see them on the big screen. 
you know, the last game, I don't know if it was media or if it was just blacked out regionally, I was able to get it on the Thunder's website. But if that was the case and you sadly could not watch their preseason debut, the second one should be on ESPN. If that is not the case, I will give you guys updates. This is going to be a game held in Milwaukee, so you could technically get tickets. If you're from the OKC area, though, you might want to wait for the Nuggets set because they will be back at the Paycom, and then they're going to be at the BOK on the 14th. But other than that, though, guys, that is going to wrap up today's episode. I thank you all for listening, and I will talk to you all next time. See ya.